if you were forced to assign one of them to science fiction, if you had to give it to one. I wouldn't give it to any of them. Do, like, do I, I have to. Someone puts a gun to your head at the library okay. and says, pick one. Welcome to Talking Beasts from NarniaWeb.com, where we explore the world of C.S. Lewis and keep a watchful eye on the latest Narnia movie news. This is Talking Beasts. Welcome back, everyone. I'm still Glumpuddle. And I'm still Jim Fan. I assume I'm really in, but the way yeah. you guys phrase it, I'm not sure now. <laughs> you never know. I, I I love that joke. It's a way to uh, switch up the, the intros, you know. We're going through The Magician's Nephew still. Woo-woo! And today we're going to be talking about Chapter 3, The Wood Between the Worlds. Probably the weirdest idea in the Chronicles of Narnia. Let me just get right to the point of this very serious uh, and highbrow literary discussion. Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, this book is so good. It's just so good. It's so awesome. I just like, I was just like grinning from ear to ear rereading it. I just think The Wood Between the Worlds is the like, is that Lewis's most like out there weirdest? What else, what else can you think of that is like weirder? Like the entirety of The Last Battle? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> No, I do think the the Narnia within Narnia is weirder, but I the wood between the worlds. I remember even as a little kid, the wood between the worlds. I thought this is just trippy. This is wild. Well, maybe trippy is a better word than weird. I don't know. I think you could argue for both. Well, but it's so cool because you realize it's not just Narnia, and I don't know why, but it's almost like you. It's like almost like you hadn't really considered it too much. Maybe Boys of Dawn Treader a little bit, but you hadn't really considered too much. Oh Other wait, worlds. there's a bunch of them. Well, for me, it's almost even like you start with. You know, if you're reading in publication order, you start with, you know, just Narnia and then it expands to, oh, there's other countries inside of Narnia that are not Narnia. Yes. And then you get to, you know, this and you're like, wait, it's like there's so much bigger. There's other worlds out there. You know, it's not just the one world. That was just one of so many. And it just kind of keeps getting bigger and bigger. This series, we've we've been into this series for 5.1 books. And, whoa, this is something different than we've had in, in the past five books. Um, and that's another reason I, th- I was thinking about this, reading it now, that, and I can only speculate, I didn't read the series in chronological order. I read it in publication order. I can't, uh, spe- I can only speculate what I would have thought had I read um, Magician's Nephew first. But it just seems to me that to start the series with Magician's Nephew as book one and to begin with The Wood Between the Worlds... I just think that would lead to these expectations of, well, what's in these other six books? I mean, we're going to explore other worlds, right? And nope, we just stay in Narnia pretty much. Uh, It just seems to like open up all these doors and then slam them all shut in the next book. Whereas if you read it in publication order, in Magician's Nephew is book six, it's, whoa, you never imagined you would get all this detail about the world we've been been in for five books. Yeah, I think to go along exactly with what you said, I don't know if the story itself is the reason why it's better to read it after the other Narnia books. I do think there's so much in the style that does make it an extremely jarring transition. I mean, I said this before. I'm sure we'll keep saying it again. I first read Chronicles of Narnia in chronological order. I'm still here. So clearly it wasn't that bad. (laughs) We keep making fun of chronological order because publication order is better. But just to say it again, 
there's still seven great books regardless of the order you read them in. Yeah. But they're def- you definitely see a lot more of the really holistic just like ebb and flow of the way that C.S. Lewis chose to tell the story. It definitely works a lot better in publication order. It also was a bit different because you saw the movie first, right? Oh, no, no, no. I read the books first. No, 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 no. Oh, that would have been awful. Oh, you did read the No, I'm first. just kidding to those who <laughs> saw a movie first, but... I definitely had the ability to read the books first, and therefore I did, and I'm very happy that I did. So you can read The Magician's Nephew first and still be an awesome Narnia fan. Amazingly. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay. Um, so the, fir- the first bit, we've got a Google Doc of notes we're going off here just to try to keep this to you know less than five hours, this conversation, because you could, just, you could just, just, just talk about doing an episode out of every paragraph. But first really interesting thing in here is like Diggory um, emerges from the pool and he's not wet very weird looks around sees all the pools and comp- instantly has amnesia and just forgets everything about uh, why he's there and then he sees a girl there who we of course know is polly but he doesn't he just sees oh there's this girl there and slowly they remember oh uncle andrew and the whole backstory and everything and there's uh, one bit i want to read c.s lewis writes if anyone had asked him where did you come from he would probably have said I- i've always been here that was what it felt like as if one had always been in that place and had never been bored, although nothing had ever happened. As he said long afterward, it's not the sort of place where things happen. The trees go on growing. That's all. And then he talks to Polly, and Polly has forgotten him too. And Polly thinks that she's always been there. And then Diggory also thinks, like, yeah, I've always been here too. She's like, no, you haven't. I just saw you come out of the pool. So I don't have a firm... I'm not sure I have a firm answer for this, but uh, my interpretation has always kind of been they're forgetting things because... It's not the sort of place where things happen. In other words, there's no time. All the other worlds have time, but this world doesn't. Is that kind of the vibe you guys get? Yeah, I get the vibe that it's like a being it like that in between. It's a place, but it's not a place. It therefore it doesn't play by the same rules. So you're going to experience it in different ways. But I do think it's interesting that they do get there eventually in that they fully kind of understand, comprehend what's going on. And when they come back to it later, they don't have that issue really. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it's interesting. That's true. Uh, When they come back, they don't, in a couple of chapters, they don't seem to, they don't have the same problem of amnesia. That's interesting. They're more ready for it, I guess. I kind of, you know, my, my initial thought, and I kind of wonder if I like yours better. My initial thought was, you know, there's a lot of kind of interesting new beginnings in this book, right? It, where you have, like, they come into like a new world, they discover new worlds. And there's these kind of interesting mental states where uh, this kind of innocence and almost like a naivete, you know, like, like this kind of bl- almost a blissfulness uh, whether it's the creatures coming into Narnia that they, they they've existed a few minutes, you know, and they they're aware, but they're they're not very aware of the, like all that's going on, you know. Um, and so I think I thought some of it was maybe in hmm. in line with that, but I think maybe maybe you hit it on the head a little better because I you know I remember in um, I took this philosophy class one time. It was really cool. And we talked about a lot of space-time theory and the theory of relativity. And, and there's actually a very real debate about what, what is time. And we always measure time, going to what you say, with motion, right? Whether it's the hands of a clock or the sun 
or the earth rotating. But we're constantly using a spatial metaphors to talk about time. Looking back, I would have made a different choice or something like that. Well, we are. And there's some, there's this kind of debate of like, if you could come up with a world where, okay, what if everything was motionless, even to the point of atoms vibrating? What if everything was static? Could you say that there was time? Is mm-hmm. Does time even exist? And so I'm, it may be that that's kind of uh, a little bit better metaphor there because like you kind of like well yeah why would there be time if nothing really ever changes in this world yeah and it's um and dick doesn't diggory say something like well i I don't think this is a world i just think it's an in-between place Mm -hmm. um like and and obviously they're drawing back to the first chapter of of the rafters and the different doors and houses and drawing that comparison let me uh pitch something to you guys really quick and just see how how crazy i am um (laughs) for the magician's nephew movie What if, imagine the first thing you see, okay, you see some opening credits perhaps, and you're just seeing like water, you're not sure what it is, like, you know, waves and the camera slowly pulls out to reveal a pool, and then Diggory pops out of it, and he's looking around, he's like, where am I? I don't know where I am. He sees this girl, and he's like, you know, who are you? And she's like, I've always been here. He's like, yeah, me too. She's like, nah, I just saw you come out of that pool. He's like... Oh, yeah, I suppose I did. What if that was the opening scene of Magician's Nephew? And then somehow we motivate a flashback. <laughs> I'm not sure how. But wouldn't it be interesting for the audience to be just as disoriented and confused as Diggory? That would be, I, I don't think that would be a good way to open the movie. But I do think that would be the only way to really bring the audience into the same state of mind that mm. they were in. Frankly, I think if they did a movie, I think it would open with Mrs. LeFay. Uh, and Uncle Andrew, but <laughs> well, I, I I hope not because to me it's like the challenge. One of the challenges of Magician's nephew, um, you know, they have that Shadow of the Past, Council of Elrond chapter, whatever it is, of getting all that backstory in, and you want to make sure people are like invested in that. And if you give right. them a really powerful opening, like oh, they're, we're going to exp- we're eventually we're going to explain how Diggory got to that place. Um, I think that entices people to be a little more patient with the exposition. So and it's just I just think it's I just think it's a cool op- I just think it'd be a really cool opening. I, I don't know about the consequences it would have for the rest of the story, but I think it'd be a cool <laughs> opening. <laughs> I would say maybe not open the movie that way, but you could totally open the trailer that way. Oh, okay. I tend to fight against spoilers, but it, we spoil so much. Okay, as trailers I mean, go nowadays, they put Gandalf the White in the Two Towers trailer. <laughs> yeah, on, yeah. <laughs> for a well, for a fifty-year-old book, exactly, whatever. exactly. Um, <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> right. I don't know. It, it makes me think of how Lewis opens. Uh, well, Prince Caspian. The Pepsi's get pulled off the platform. Have no idea right. why, and then they have to yeah. flash back and fill in all the details. Flashbacks are hard in film medium. That's the issue. So that's uh-huh. the only reason why I would say just as a film, I don't know if that would work, um, but I, I like it as a concept. What about as a series? What if this was episode one of like, you know, a five to eight part series? And then mm. I think that would be like episode one is like like a lot of it is them trying to understand the wood between the worlds and experimenting with it and just I saying, where did some, we come from? There's some series where people are doing weird stuff with series. <laughs> like, like, so one of my friends like, oh, dude, you got to watch The Witcher. It's such a good, such a good book and video game. You need to watch the new Witcher show. And I'm watching it. I'm like, I'm waiting for this show to get good. And then I'm like, okay, you know, the fact that this TV show does not take place in chronological order, it's kind of an important point. And maybe you should have <laughs> hinted to the rest of us normies that <laughs> haven't played the games. Like, I, I was thoroughly 
very, very mad at the show. But I'm like, <laughs> okay. wait a second. What do you mean it's not well, in chronological order? Anyway, but things, things like that. Like people are doing weird stuff in shows. So I, I could see them doing something like that. But it doesn't necessarily mean that just because, oh, yeah, we could do that. Like, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a good idea. Yeah, I mean, I, it's more just it would be a cool opening, and that's all I got. That's kind of it doesn't like enhance the theme or anything like that. You know, it's just it would be cool, and I admit that's the only reason. So maybe it would be maybe it would just be a gimmick, in which case he probably shouldn't do it. But it was a thought, Jim fan. I see your note in here, and I'm a. Uh, it says Diggory's deduction and curiosity. Polly's carefulness is she in Enneagram Six? That's just my stream of consciousness. Now I, I can expound on. Can that. you just start off by explaining what is an Instagram Six? No, no. <laughs> an Enneagram. <laughs> so tell us an Enneagram. So tell us uh, what, what do you what do you conc- what are you concluding about Polly's character or her, her personality or whatever? Oh well, I I am not the foremost authority on Enneagram. So I'm not going to go into that. If you don't know what that is, you can look it up. It's a type of uh, a personality test, but it kind of helps like it divides people into like nine types and it kind of helps explain what's why you react to things based off of like your internal motivations. The, when I was reading this chapter, I was kind of laughing at myself because I totally see that trait. The for, you know, Diggory is like, ooh, like, let's look at this and maybe we could do that and wouldn't it be cool to explore that? And Polly's like, wait, wait, wait. Like, we need to figure out exactly what's going on. We need to work through all of our scenarios, make sure we can get back. Like, we need to be safe. We need to be okay. Um, And that's very much, like, something that uh, what we call the Enneagram 6 would do. It's very kind of like worst case scenario type thinking where you're just making sure you're thinking through all the options. Like, obviously I'm not just going to go jump into some random pool. Like that's a terrible idea. Like I'll do it. Yeah, I'll do it, but let's test it first. Make sure that we at least covered most of our bases and not just rush into things. And I was like, yeah, that would be me. <laughs> See, what's funny is I, I I always thought of that's the dynamic I always remember is, oh yeah, Diggory is rash and he's curious and he's reckless takes chances you know, he acts before thinking and polly is the more logical uh, uh, careful one and then that's why they're a good pair but i keep noticing examples where it's kind of the opposite i mean when they opened the door to uncle andrew's study she's the one that blew out her candle and jumped in immediately uh she's also does get tricked into touching the rings because she's really curious now i guess what reason would she have to suspect she was going to get drawn into another world <laughs> fair enough um and then yeah. i think later in what is it? When oh yeah, and then when they in the next chapter when they first look into the hall of images, she's the one that goes in first. Like oh, I want to take a look at the clothes. So there are other examples too of it being the opposite. Yeah, it's not like a one and done. Like just because you act this way in one scenario doesn't mean you're yeah. gonna act that way in everyone. Uh-huh. But I definitely, I I really related to the oh let's you know let's do a little bit of groundwork first, and then you know you know to be fair, like when we get into the next chapter. Diggory's like, oh, let's, you know, uh, you know, ooh, we could ring the bell. And she's like, oh, we don't want that. What's the worst that we could happen? Need... Why would, Why would you? you want to do that? That sounds like a terrible idea. And Diggory does become the professor. You know, he becomes yes. the, like the scientific explorer, right? Really, Diggory is more of us like the scientific explorer than Uncle Andrew. Um, you know, and it's kind of like, uh, you know, it's like that. Uh, John Stewart skit where he was talking about scientists and diseases and stuff like you know you get a bunch of scientists in a room and you know you need someone who's gonna say 
hey guys, I don't think this is a good idea, but you know, they're going to push the limits and like, oh, well we can, so let's do it, you know? What was the thing about, uh, like science tells us um, if we can make dinosaurs and the humanities tell us why we shouldn't? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, there is no, there is no ought in science. I mean, that's, that's uh-huh. the pitfall uh, of sometimes great scientists because they, they sometimes forget, well, just because you can do a certain thing doesn't mean you should. And it, if you look at the latest fringes on bio, you can look at like some of the latest technology out there and it's terrifying what we can mm-hmm. do. But mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's kind of the, like, but Diggory's young and he doesn't have those kind of guiding principles. Really, the kind of the voice of reason in some ways is uh, really more poly. Yeah. I mean, she, she has the very good idea. Maybe we should see if we can get home first. <laughs> it's kind of a relevant point. I love both. I love this pair. I love the fact that Diggory, I love the, well, let's get going. Let's get, let's going, but go back to our world, you know? And then he's like, hang on a second. And I love that. I imagine a, a moment in the movie where he's like, okay, let's go. One, two. And then the camera pans around. He's just like, wait. And you know that he's thinking, wait a second. What if? And that the theme of curiosity coming back into the story and the the good and the bad of curiosity and will it kill the cats? Um, I guess it's kind of the lingering question throughout the story. I, I do have to say I had forgotten that at this point in the story is where C.S. Lewis reveals that Diggory becomes the professor. Yeah. I forgot about that. And too. it kind of bugs me. I I, I, had, I instinctively, <laughs> for some reason, like, as I remember back on the story, I thought, oh, I thought the, the epilogue, because there's always kind of like a little epilogue, right? I'm going to read that paragraph really quick because it has, it kind of sets some, it kind of it talks about what we've been talking about with Diggory's character. But Lewis writes, Polly was quite as brave as Diggory about some dangers, wasps, for instance, but she was not so interested in finding out things nobody had ever heard before. For Diggory was the sort of person who wants to know everything, and when he grew up, he became the famous Professor Kirk who comes into other books, or really one other book at that point. But um, anyway, um, that's totally. T- I, I I am confused about why Lewis made that decision. Why not l- let that be a reveal? I don't know. At, at the very end, I don't know. I mean, I guess he just thought people would go, "Oh, cool! That's the professor," and that would make them more interested in the story. Obviously, that's all or I can maybe think. He but thought people maybe. kind of guessed it already i don't know i don't think so it's hard to say yeah honestly i i, I forgot like i think when i, I read did. the book i, I somehow I, I was like oh that's so much cooler if you reveal it at the end you know no what i mean is the first time i read the book i i, I must have been reading really fast because i remember it wasn't till the very end of the book that i went oh and he's the professor and i put it all together i must have forgotten about this part or something or read over it or something and because or i just or it might just speak to how and we, we've talked about this Magician's Nephew is a prequel insofar as it takes place before Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, but that's not its only function, just to be the thing that tells you Narnia's backstory. It just works as the story of Diggory and Polly, and if it was the only Narnia book you read, you'd probably wonder why Lewis had all those random teases at the very end, but apart from that, it just works as the story of Diggory and Polly, and I think I just got really caught up in what's going to happen to Diggory and Polly in, in and of itself, and I totally forgot about uh, the uh, the professor tease. So I think that speaks to where a lot of prequels go astray. And what Lewis gets right is the prequel works as its own story, not just as backstory. Yeah. But nonetheless, it would have been a really fun discovery to come to the very last chapter and realize, oh, that's the professor. And this ties into the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. So I'm, I'm just puzzled that he would also do he it. He does the same with the wardrobe, basically. 
Well, but there's some build up to it. There's some like well, there is build up. I agree. Into a wardrobe, like, ah. and it feels like ah, <laughs> it feels like more of a ta da. Um, yeah. And here, it's also like, why does he do it in such a boring way? Like, why not have it be discovered in I don't know, just more of an interesting way. This is so throwaway. He, he does this exactly the same way that he mentioned the horse and his boy in the silver chair. It's just oh, you know, a little nugget there. But this is like whoa. Like, if you're paying attention, not reading really fast, like I guess I was, (laughs) that should be like, oh, my gosh, Professor Kirk, what? That's cool. I I think it takes away some of the suspense because, I mean, okay, there's not a lot of characters. Not like he just, not this isn't Game of Thrones. He doesn't just kill characters off left and right. It does take away some of the moral suspense because you're like, oh, well, however Diggory ends up, he ends up as basically a good guy. I don't know. Whatever. In the comments, tell us what you think about that. If you think that it served a function kind of revealing it at this point. Jim Fan, you've got a note in here about uh, how how Lewis does Polly and Diggory's uh, how he does their arguing, or rather, doesn't do it. Kind of yeah. skips over it. Well, I just think it's like such a like it. It's it's one of those instances where the less you describe it, actually describes it more um, because you totally get what he's referencing and like what he's talking about. And I'll just I'll just read that little bit. It's it's after. They realize, oh, yeah, we probably should mark the the pool that goes back to our world before we just start jumping into random oh, pools. Otherwise, moment. we may never find it again. And it's kind of like a really like <laughs> it's a really dark moment. Yeah. Yeah. And Polly's like, you know, just to say the last thing was, it's a good thing one of us has sense. And Diggory says, well, don't keep on guessing about it. Come along. I want to see what's in one of the other pools. And Polly gave him a pretty sharp answer. And he said something even nastier in reply. The quarrel lasted for several minutes, but it would be dull to write it all down. Let us just skip to the moment at which they all stood with beating hearts and rather scared fears and blah, 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 blah. It's basically like... It's Fast like, forward. Yeah, we get that. We've all been there. Where It's basically just like an exchange of like, we're just, you know, we're saying words and then we get over it and then let's get to the, let's get to the important stuff. Let's not waste time on the arguing. Awesome. Yeah, I absolutely love that. It does raise questions though, you know, because I think the general implication is... You know, oh, this all really happened. And um, Lewis is like taking this real event that he heard from various sources and he's putting it in a form that children can understand, you know, is kind of the implication. And Don Treader, it's implied that he has actually spoken with Lucy, for example. But mm-hmm. was he there to hear their argument? And to what deep, if, if he's spoken with Diggory, did he like relay the argument to yeah, him this- in tons of detail? And he went, oh, I'm not going to include all that Diggory. Sorry. There's only so much space in the book. It's sort of a semi-omniscient author. Like, like, like if you read the Lord of the Rings, it's like, okay, did Frodo write this? Cause it kind of reads like Frodo wrote it, but then not, you know, it's like, okay, it's almost like a third hand, per- like someone heard it firsthand, wrote it down, and then that got translated or translated, and then that got, you know, picked up by someone else who then kind of assembled it. Almost like a almost like a historian, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, that's kind of how I look at it. Like, okay, you know, if you're gonna do a history of some event, you will find the writings of the people, ideally, you'll find the writings of the people, if you can, who heard it firsthand, and then you will write the history from the firsthand accounts. And so it's gonna be like a little bit removed. But it's funny, isn't it? It's like, don't think about it too much. It's not the, don't, don't think about the literal, oh, Frodo wrote this or C.S. Lewis you know, wrote this and it all really happened. It's more like the romantic right. notion of it being passed down. Yeah, it's not like <laughs> 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea or Sherlock Holmes where the character who wrote it is there in the story. You know, it's not quite the same. It's not the same thing. Right. 
<laughs> Do you want to talk about whether this is science fiction or not? <laughs> okay, let me let me let me tee this up. Um, so is um I've been I've spent much of my life thinking about the definition of science fiction versus fantasy, and I'm continually frustrated by it. Um, let me so I I don't want this to go into too much of a discussion about well, what is the definition of sci-fi? What is the definition of fantasy? I, I want to try to narrow the question a little more. I think, tell me if you guys agree. I think we'll all agree that Narnia is fantasy, all seven Narnia books. If you had to give them one genre, we would say fantasy. If you could only do one. Yes. But if you were forced to assign one of them to science science fiction, if you had to give it to one, it would be The Magician's Nephew, right? It may not be science fiction, but it is closer to science fiction than the other six books. Would you agree with that much? As someone who has no horse in this race, because I've literally never thought of this before, no. But I'm saying, okay, well, then which one would you give it to? I wouldn't give it to any of them. Do, like, do I, I have but if you, to? I'm saying if you had okay, to. If I have yeah, to. you have to. You're at the library. You're, 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 okay. you're, 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 someone you're, puts you're, a gun to your head at the library. No, and says, Pick you're, you're, one. You're, you're, you're taking in some new books and you're putting the the uh, fantasy stickers on the books and you get to the you get you you realize oh, oh there's only six stickers left. I only have, I would have so left it one without of a these books. No, okay, okay, sure. <laughs> I would give it to this one because of the the multiverse aspect, but that's literally okay. it, and it's not a good it's not a good reason. That's the only reason. Okay, you guys go because you guys have opinions. So I have. So I, I want to explore very briefly. Here, I would say I can't. I can't. I can't try to make it fit even in that for using a couple definitions of science fiction. One is the question of how does a technology change uh, or interface with humanity? Right. Um, that's that's not the question here. The the rings. The rings are inconsequential to the story. They they just happen to be rings. Um, the element of you're the saying story, that it, it, it's just a thing to make the story go, just like I'm the just DeLorean saying it is and a Back thing to the Future, to make right? the story go, which is why he spends so little time on it. Because he because what's the point of belaboring it and beating a dead horse? So well, he does spend a fair amount of time on it, but not really. You you yourself said okay. I mean, there's powder, and then he makes rings, and he doesn't uh-huh. really explain a whole lot about how he did it, other True. than like blowing up hamsters like little uh-huh. bombs. So mm-hmm. I'm just saying that the. the it doesn't have to be rings. It's not like, you know, and some people would say, well, even back to the future, that's not actually science fiction. That's fantasy because it's impossible to go back in time. Well, yes, but the point was the technology, the idea of a technology changing how humans interact and process, right? What if the technology existed? The second definition that also fails that I really like, uh, which is very much the pop culture definition in terms of how modern audiences instinctively think of what is sci-fi, what is fantasy. Uh, I heard it fr- first from Orson Scott Card, the author of Ender's Game uh, and uh, Enchanted. He said, or Enchantment. He said, uh, the best def- simple definition for whether a book is fantasy or science fiction. If the book can easily have sheet metal on the cover, it's science fiction. And if it has trees on the cover, it's fantasy. <laughs> Well, Magician's Nephew, yeah, generally does have trees on the cover, doesn't it? Okay. <laughs> that actually works pretty well. Maybe it's not 100% accurate, but that's going to win you more money at the bank if you bet that way. <laughs> if you sure. pick a book um, up out of the library. Yeah, so science fiction is tricky. I mean, it's not like you know a romance or something where there's clear plot elements we could point to. It, it's more of a – and there's things like, you know, like you know, Jurassic Park is – it's really an action-adventure 
monster movie, but it right. has this science fiction element to it of what right. if we could clone dinosaurs. Um, so, and, and again, I'm not arguing that Magician's Nephew is science fiction, but I do think it is. Um, I, I do understand why you're kind of making that point or, or why you would pick it if you had to. I just don't think if I'm being honest with myself, even for the fun of discussion, I could it's a square peg in a round hole. I don't think I could ever fit it into any definition of science fiction. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't think it's as far away as you're saying, but I, I think there's, there's something in it that just kind of smells like science fiction to me a little bit. And I think that it's related to that feeling I talked about when, okay, we've been reading this for 5.1 books and then we go to the web between the worlds and whoa, this feels like something different. You know, this feels like something True. different from the other books. And I think there's an aspect of that, not the whole thing, but there's a certain aspect of that where this feels a little bit science fiction-y. I'm not saying it is, but it kind of smells like it. Um, and part of it, I think, is that you talked about how does something interface with, with how does technology interface with humanity? And I think in this case, the ability to travel back and forth between worlds, um, it feels more directly related to our world. Whereas in, let's say, The Line, The Witch, and The Wardrobe, they go through the wardrobe and that's it. They're in the wardrobe. And now we're talking about Narnia, we're dealing with Narnia issues. But in Magician's Nephew, we're going back and forth between our world and the fantasy world. Mm -hmm. And we're seeing and we're gonna see Jadis on a horse riding around London. And like it's like the 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 worlds are colliding, you know, the 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 fantasy world and Earth. In fact, I would probably say maybe that's another reason it feels a little more like sci-fi. Uh, is that I'd probably say Magician's Nephew takes place more on Earth than any of the other books. Would you say that? Probably Lion, the Witch, and the yeah. Orange would be the only competitor. Um, but uh, Magician's Nephew has major plot points. You know, mm -hmm. like, you know, the witch in London. That's, you know, like, like can you believe, like, th this revelation we're going to see that, no, there was a a, a creature from, our, from Narnia. Well, not Narnia yet, but, you know, another world, another dimension, whatever, you know, hijacking a cab and running around <laughs> London. And so maybe that's quite why a striking visual. And you have, you know, uncle Andrew later saying, you know, what if I could make whole railroads and I could do this and that, you know, he could imagining what, well, what the implications could be. I could go back home and get rich from, you know, uh, from this. So I think that's what makes it feel a little more like science fiction. Um, even though it's still ultimately a fantasy book, I think. Um, but, uh, is there anything they're really in? Or are you going to say, nope, there's still nothing sci-fi about it? I'm just going to say, I mean, you, because it's also interchangeable. I mean, Uncle Andrew could have had a wardrobe for Mrs. Le Fay. Mm -hmm. You know? Fair and, enough. And, yeah. and then, sure. Uh, sure. I'm just saying that there's... It's, it's, it's fantasy, it's ultimately. Very, yeah. Yes, it's... it's uh, And, you know, as for like, well, Uncle Andrew could... I mean, you could kind of add the twist like, oh, what if there's a wardrobe where you go into another world, but then when you come back, you're a different age. And then like, you know, how would that you could say, oh, is that a science fiction device? It's like, well, no, I, I don't I don't mm -hmm. think so. Um, and, and, and science fiction is a, a really weird it's tough. Uh, it, it is kind of. It is actually hard it's to really think that. The one of the mm -hmm. better counterexamples is some people saying, like I've heard some people say, actually no, Marvel because it's impossible. Marvel is all fantasy. It's not science fiction. Or even someone say, well, no, Back to the Future. We we know scientifically that could never happen. So there's no point in exploring it. So therefore, it's just fantasy because it could not happen. You're exploring what could not. More importantly, Back to the Future. It's like yeah, the science of it doesn't matter. The point is, what if you can meet your parents when they were your age? Right. It, it, it's just all. It, 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 science it, it, science it, it, really matters. And, and if I want to be really technical yes. mm -hmm. part of me wants to say yes back to the future is fantasy because you know what it could have been a spell book 
Uh-huh. It could have been a spell book he finds in the attic from an old witch. And then if he did that and he just casts spells the right way and goes to the right year, we would say, oh, yeah, it's like a modern fantasy taking place in 1985. So <laughs> in a sense, sure. yes, uh-huh. Back to the Future is, is uh, I think another uh, definition I've heard is science fiction is about uh, what is like on the limits of what could happen. And fantasy allows us to explore what can't ever happen in our world. But what if it could? Yeah, but again, it's it is hard to pin down. It's very hard, hard to pin to down. As soon as I think again, of a definition, that's why I like the most accurate, <laughs> the most accurate definition, even if it's not one hundred percent correct. As far as like just a quick logical uh, leap, is the well, if the book has trees on it, it can be fantasy, uh-huh. and if it's got sheet metal, it's probably yeah. science fiction. Yeah, maybe what a that, that that is a really that's a fun, and I, I like how practical that definition is. <laughs> You know, it's like, you know, maybe it doesn't make sense, but it, it's still but, useful, but, 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 isn't it? You what know? if I can have trees uh, and sheet metal? Oh, now you've just thrown a wrench into the whole thing. You know what? No one ever does an art cover like that. Someone's going to find <laughs> one. Someone's going to say, ha, really? And you fool. Here it is. And it'll be like a series of 20 fantasy science fiction books out there. That's awesome. <laughs> and you know what? Yeah. Like, you know, Star Wars, like, we, you know, kind of the useful usually if you're talking about if you're debating fantasy versus science fiction star trek versus star wars usually comes up or you know, we, say, we generally say star wars is more fantasy star trek is more science fiction to your point star trek is more likely to have sheet metal on the cover certainly star Wars is more likely to have trees on the cover <laughs> uh-huh. um, yep. but yep. Uh, but i i think once we get to the wood between the worlds i think that's what i'm reacting to is that it has felt closer look obviously star wars and narnia very different okay Leave me alone, comment section. <laughs> not to, yeah, the, I'm not to the studios. They want to make one into the other. How can we make Narnia more like Star Trek or Star Wars or oh, some other franchise? And, and give it another decade and they'll be in the same universe. Um, <laughs> but uh, but no, so I think for most, for the purposes of this topic we're talking about right now, Narnia feels closer to Star Wars for five books. And then they get into the Wood Between the Worlds, and now it feels a little more Star Trek to me. Doesn't Wood Between the Worlds feel a little more like Star Trek, a Star Trek episode, than a Star Wars movie to you? I mean, can you see Luke Skywalker going, whoa, look at these portals. We could jump into these pools and go into a different world. Or can you see Captain Picard's, you know, or maybe maybe Jordy on an away mission saying, you know, well, it looks like (laughs) each of these pools leads into a different world. That's more of a Star Trek thing. I'm going to die on the hill of Magician's Nephew of Fantasy. However, I have to concede that one point that, yes, <laughs> this book, this Wood Between the Worlds is more, you would see it in Star Trek. You would never see it in Star Wars. Anyway, so, okay. So that was, um, uh, please let us know in the comments. Do you consider, is there anyone out there that considers Magician's Nephew science fiction? Or, easier question, would you agree that the Magician's Nephew is closer to science fiction? Is it closer to the st- to the steel? Or the, or the sheet metal or the, the trees? Or do you take Rillian's position that once you're seven beers in, you might think the Magician's <laughs> Nephew is science fiction? That's true. Well, maybe we can experiment with that in the next episode and see how we feel. <laughs> Just not on a school night. We do not endorse that type of behavior. Just I've never kidding. been seven beers in. Just for clarity. We won't talk about the French Caspian commentary. Okay, moving on. Um, it was okay. one pint. And you know, like I'm going through it through You're I, in Oxford. I, I think I finished it at the end, probably at the post show chatter. So I technically wasn't even one beer oh in. My. I thought you were getting thing. a little more insightful as things went along, to be honest. Well, that's probably true. <laughs> Oh my word. That part's probably true. 
Well, uh, wow, we managed to talk about fantasy and science fiction and restrain ourselves a little bit and not have it take five hours. So we, it, good job. It, I think we deserve a round of applause for that. Snap. Even though we spent the entire Don't discussion for ourselves. Yeah, I mean, like the other side of that, of course, is we spent the whole episode on just chapter three. Um, but that anyway, we will pick up. That is not a con. Let me just end this on saying I love the chapter cliffhangers and the magician's nephew so far. Oh yeah, um, that's a pretty good one. One, two, three, go! Said Diggory. And they jumped. Dun, dun, one of the dun. weird things for me with the Chronicles of Narnia is on one hand, like the voices on Twitter, I may die with that book being my favorite book. That being said, I can see a lot of examples where Lewis's writing improved. Mm. And yes, I'm not, that's not to knock agree. the earlier books. It's not. But I can see like, you know what? Lewis did improve as a, as a, as a writer over time. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can see that in the Narnia books, I think. Yeah. And it's funny. Like I'd always thought that Magician's Net before, Magician's Nephew was just generally the most well-written Narnia book, and then later discovered it was the last one he wrote. And was like, oh, that that mm-hmm. actually makes sense to me. Yep. Uh, last Battle was written and finished before. Yeah. Awesome. Well, well, we'll pick this up, and we'll get through Chapter 4, The Bell and the Hammer, which has the famous... Uh, make your choice, adventurous stranger scene, and all that. Ah, I love it. We already have our like notes. A season of like UFC fighting or something. The bell and the hammer. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see how the next. Okay, that's your perspective on it. We'll see how the next discussion goes. Uh, Rillian, do you want to take the outro today? I would be honored. You've been listening to Talking Beasts, the Narnia podcast from NarniaWeb.com. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and give us five stars on iTunes. Post a comment on NarniaWeb.com or in the Talking Beasts Facebook group. Visit Patreon.com slash NarniaWeb to support this podcast and get exclusive content, including more episodes. Until next time, further up and further in.